News Talk 1110 wbt Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, we'll get back to the phone calls uh, on Ukraine in a minute. First, here's another phone call. Caller, Brett Winterbull joins me now, uh, live from, uh, is, it, is it Florida? Where in Florida? Where's CPAC going on? We're, uh, we're in Orlando. Hello, Pete Callender. Good to be with you. Uh, uh, first time, long time. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Uh, I, I saw there were a bunch of actually, uh, a bunch of North Carolina uh, elected officials and candidates. Uh, they got some pretty prime speaking times, it seems like, at the, at the CPAC this year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, North Carolina is very, very strongly, uh, you know, covered here. Uh, in fact, I'll have, uh, I'll have Ted Bud's going to join me today at, uh, at, at 4.05, nice. and uh, we're going we're gonna to visit. I visited with Mark Walker yesterday, and uh, I think uh, Governor Pat's going to stop by as well later on in the program. Uh, other notable folks, you know, that you've seen here, I saw Michelle Woodhouse yesterday, was, uh, she came by uh, the program as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting to see, because what's happening right now is a lot of people are talking Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm. But now you start to introduce in the new nominee for the Supreme Court from... Uh, from President Biden, and of yep. course, all the other underlying, you know, malfeasance issues that are here, uh, inflation, crime, you name it. Um, tomorrow, uh, I will not be broadcasting, obviously, because it's Saturday, but tomorrow, you're going to have some of the, the heavier hitters uh, from the populist end of the Republican Party. MTG comes in tomorrow. Lauren Boebert comes in tomorrow. I think um, Congressman uh, Madison Cawthorn is going to be speaking, I believe, tomorrow. This is, it's going to be a full slate for the next 24, 48 hours here. So that's interesting. Is it, um, it, it's not like, like you've got, I don't even know what you call, I mean, you said the populist wing, but like, I don't even know what, what is the other wing called? The traditional wing or something? The more traditional establishment yeah. wing. Like, like here, this morning, you had, uh, you had Marco Rubio, a mm-hmm. like, very conventional guy. You had Mike Pompeo speak on foreign policy, very conventional. Um, they, they both they both made big addresses earlier in the morning, uh, and then as we get into the afternoons, you know, you start to see different folks. One of the big draws last night, and I know people laugh, but one of the big draws last night, Mike Lindell was like a rock star here last night. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, so there is a lot of hunger, and then coming up tonight, I'm not going to be attending this because I don't I don't have commas in my accounts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but tonight is the Reagan dinner. And that will be, that's going to be, um, the, the keynote will be, uh, I think it's Glenn Beck, but it's also Tulsi Gabbard. So you're seeing this really funky kind of interesting fusion. And I, and, and I hate to say like a fusion party because right. it's such a trite term. But, but if you have a party that's got the populist wing, the conventional wing, the Tulsi Gabbard privacy is vital wing. You know, this is this is a very interesting sort of brew that we've got in front of us. Is there an opportunity for another kind of three-legged stool there? Uh, you know, I think it's possible. Um, I, I think when you look, I think people have put aside their planks right now for the bigger picture, which is that this country is in real, in, in real danger right, right now. And, and no matter, really, no matter what your flavor is, right, if, if your flavor is civil liberties, right, uh, CIA spying on you, NSA spying on you, you certainly got that in this party right now. You've got conventional economics, uh, regulation. You've got, you've got, you know, think about just the crime issue 
which is the unifying thing that's also going to pick up your folks that might be kind of wanderers, you know, that, that maybe they went for Trump, then they went to Biden, now they want to get the heck out of there. So this is a, a very interesting thing, and one of the great things. So I'm standing like 30 feet from Robert Costa, who is a Washington Post writer, mm-hmm. does like CNN hits, MSNBC, and watching these conventional, quote-unquote, Beltway reporters come in here, just kind of puzzled. <laughs> the energy in this place is, is, is worth its price of admission. I bet. They're like, what exactly do you believe about crime? I don't know, that it's bad? <laughs> yeah, right. And well, and I suspect that any uh, anybody that approaches, anybody like that, like Costa, that approaches you, it's going to be, right. you got to think it's a sandbag kind of interview that they're trying to set up. Like, check exactly. out these crazies that are at CPAC. It, it, well, that's what they want. See, right. they, they, you, you do have the guys in costumes yeah. and the outfits and the, you know, you have those people. Okay. Um, I used to refer to them as like, you know, the tri-corner hat crowd right. that walks around with a musket. And you're like, okay, that's interesting, but that's really not policy. Um, I like policy a little more. Right. But, but people are, are talking a lot, by the way, also, Pete. Obviously, they're talking a lot about this North Carolina redistricting these maps. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing is they're, they're, extend, um, they're extending the argument from the North Carolina maps to say, this is why you don't want that Biden voting bill at the national level, because you're going to have all kinds of crazy coop judges come in here and just change stuff up. Oh, that's actually a really smart play. You know, which I think is like huge, right? I mean, yeah, because we look, we want everybody to vote as long as you got the ID, and we do not want some. Sp- I mean, come on, Pete, is there a more repulsive phrase than the special master? <laughs> yeah, oh no, there's still we got three of them, we got three I special mean, masters. Yeah, but you don't even get wait, nobody brought a special mistress. No, 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 that's uh, that that's, would be completely that's inappropriate. That's, that's right, that's what they called out in dirty at 11 30 in DC at the Capitol Grill. I got it. I got it. Hey, hey, I'll hey, uh, try the veal. Uh, so what the uh, the DeSantis, um, yeah. did you catch his speech? Uh, yeah, so this I, I I saw, I could tell he gave a good speech because the outrage was like at level 11 um, about how he did not mention Ukraine. Yes, it was. But but his mission, remember, he is an aggrieved party. He was targeted for destruction. They pulled the monoclonal antibodies out of this state. They didn't want they didn't want people getting treatment, which is just such a sick mental kind of position to take, right? So he comes out, and his closing pitch was, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna Brandon you're not gonna Brandon Florida. I mean, that's just not going to happen. And and that's you know that's a huge thing. Ted Cruz last night he was throwing haymakers and uh, dubbed uh, you know Jen Psaki peppermint patty. Oh my God. And, and, yeah. Oh yeah. my God. It's so it's so apt though. It really is. I mean, it's kind of well, hilarious and like right on the nose. But so it's there's there's carnival. There's also substantive. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's there's this blend of things. But um, one of the great T-shirts I saw. I got to snap a picture of it. So I'm going to paraphrase it. It says it says um, it, it, it says socialism is communism. For people that don't understand economics, I, I screwed it up. I will take a picture of the of the shirt, but it is there's a lot of really interesting arguments here. You don't see any breakage between pro life, pro choice, identity politics. That's all off the table. This is all substantive stuff here. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, stick around. Brett Winterbull is going to be uh, doing the full three hours from CPAC at three o'clock here. And uh, you got, and you, you mentioned I got you got Ted Budd and I guess whoever what wanders by the booth while you're on. That's right. We kind of I stand up because you got the handheld mic and it's kind of telephone nice. style. And yeah. You're like, hey, come here. <laughs> All right. Get on the so, mic. who will Brett lasso into the pen? Uh, we shall see. Uh, Brett Winnable, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Safe travels to you. 
Thanks, buddy. Appreciate All right, man. That's Brett Winterbill. He's on at 3 o'clock. That you already know, obviously, right here on WBT. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Taking your thoughts, your calls on Ukraine and what should we do. I do have some ideas here. Not all mine. Okay, none of them mine, but some of them are mine. But we got Travis and we have Mark. Let me get to Travis here. He's been waiting a little bit longer than Mark has, so we get to Travis first. Hello, Travis. Hey, hi, Pete. Um, so for me, I'm, I think we're missing the wider context when we look at Ukraine right now, because what's going on in Greece is that Turkey has been flying their jets over Greek islands over the last couple of days because they want those islands. They claim those islands. China, of course, is looking at Taiwan. It's a totalitarian smorgasbord. You know, any land you've wanted for the last several decades, you can have it now. And I think the reason why is because the West is in decline. And the West is in decline. If we look at Afghanistan, what we learned is that you can dominate a battlefield for decades, 20 years in Afghanistan. But if you don't win the battle of ideas, you're going to lose in the end. And right now, the West does not know who it is. If you look at the Cold War, World War II, even Civil War, when we're fighting ourselves, there was an idea that there was something unique about us. We call ourselves the free world during the Cold War, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have that anymore. And in fact, we even have people saying, well, is free speech really good? Is there certain kinds of speech that we shouldn't have? We got Ottawa saying we're going to hunt down protesters. We cannot, we can't save Ukraine until we know who we are. We're, and until we figure that out, we're going to watch this decline. The people who are calling you saying, oh, we just need to mobilize NATO, we just need to get militaristic, that's not going to work. We know it's not going to work because it's the battlefield of ideas that's where we lost in Afghanistan. Well, and the ideas also are rooted in something uh, fundamental. Um, I saw, and I don't recall the person's name that I saw uh, who said this, that you can't maintain American power, state power, without and American people that are fully invested and then seeing some kind of a return in it, like the people who go to war, the people who pay the taxes, if they're not invested in this idea, as you say, then you're not going to be able to maintain the power upon which that idea rests. Yeah. I think every leader wants to be Abraham Lincoln. They all want to be George Washington and give this great speech. And so you see these people on TV say, Now is our time. We have to sacrifice for freedom. But you don't get to have that great moment if you haven't laid the base. And nobody really understands. I think there's a quote out there, isn't it? Somebody asked Joe Biden, what is an American? He said, I don't know. (laughs) How how can you say, let's sacrifice? This is our stand. How can you have your uh, Churchill moment? If you don't even know what ground you're standing on. I've, so I've been asking a similar question for years um, as a host, as I've watched this sort of occur. And my question is, what is the thing that binds us together as Americans now? What is that idea? What is it to be an American? What is it that binds us? Shouldn't we? And when 
And I've had people say, like, well, I think it's a number of different ideas, and it's okay for everybody to have different ideas. I'm like, well, then that doesn't bind us. Like, that's the whole point, is that if we view ourselves as American, there should be something that unites us, and that used to be, like, these principles, these ideas. And I don't know if we can survive the sustained attacks that we have had on those principles, on those ideas. That's the disturbing thing. I think, thing. for me, the answer of who we are as Americans is that the whole world is fallen. I'm a Christian, this right. is my view, right? Yeah. You're not going to find a place in this world free of fallen nature, right? Right. But what America offers that's unique is that it was the first place... It, it, let's not even make it nationalistic. Let's go back to England, the glorious revolution, right? It was when they allowed people to have a say in their own government. No king ended slavery. It was William Wilberforce who entered the transatlantic slave trade, and he only was able to do it when Parliament was empowered, right? So allowing more voices at the table is the only way to mitigate fallen nature. And the United States was a bastion for that idea. We were fallen because you're not going to find a place that isn't fallen, but we had a mitigating concept. Right, to bait, right. we move away from that, we lose who we are. Yeah. Travis, great call. I appreciate it. Thanks for the chat. Thank you. Bob. Yeah, all right. I appreciate that. Let me go over here to Mark. Welcome to the program. Hello, Mark. Hello, Pete. Thank you for um, taking my Yeah, call sure. And that. And I said, I have, um, well, uh, I'm going to say some tough love here. Uh, this is what I expected to happen and how things expected to turn out. Um, The government in Kiev will fall, and we will have a dilemma very much described by our major corporate media in the 70s talking about scenarios of Soviet invasion of Iran, or we had a scenario I posited on an earlier show uh, to yours that came from a book in 85 uh, put out by Norton Publishing, Hawks, Doves, and Owls. And I participated shortly after that uh, came out in a uh, young um, Christian leadership conference of uh, uh Peacemaking church and peacemaking. All right, Mark. I have a, I have less than a minute, so okay. Yeah, yeah. So make your assertion. It's an out, it's an outline. It's a template. All you do is change the names and the players. Okay. And if you don't go nuclear, and you don't press the, don't use the nuclear football, it becomes a met. We're scrambling eggs because they're stirring up a fallout from Chernobyl in the borders of Ukraine. Gotcha, Mark. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. News Talk 1110 and 993 WBT 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at com. The Washington Examiner Editorial Board outlined four major steps, they say, that uh, the U.S. should take to respond to Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Massive sanctions on the Russian economy and military. It should include sanctions against all nations that purchase Russian military equipment, sanctions against Russia's energy export sector and companies that service it, uh, and a full ban of Russian banks from the SWIFT banking system, 
which will deny them access to Western financial markets. Also, sanctions on the wealthy oligarchs. It must include, for example, Alisher Uzmanov and Roman Abramovich, both of whom retain residences and own soccer clubs in England. The U.S. assets of all Russian oligarchs should be seized. Their private bank accounts in the West, even where hidden with corporate, uh, uh, with corporate structures, must be frozen. The residential and educational visas of their kids revoked. The U.S. should force their multinational corporations to choose between servicing the oligarchs or access to the U.S. economy. Yeah, by the way, where is big tech on all of this? It's, how come Russia is still allowed to be pushing out Literal propaganda, false flag, misinformation, propaganda while murdering people. And that's not a violation of the terms of service. Just want to be clear on that. Joe Rogan's got to go, but Vladimir Putin gets to stay. The time for choosing is now, folks. Big tech guys, corporations, like, time for choosing. Unleash the U.S. energy export market in order to check skyrocketing energy prices and ease Europe's reliance on Russian natural gas exports. Uh, Regulation should be cut, export grants expedited, and domestic extraction of natural gas expanded. The time has now come for Europe to abandon dramatically and systemically the delusion that Russia under Putin can be an energy partner. It can't. Recent decisions by France to restart its nuclear program and by Germany to suspend the Nord Stream 2 energy pipeline are welcome, but both efforts must be permanent all right let me jump over here to jeff hello jeff welcome to the program yellow oh hang on a second hang on a second hang on oh are we good yellow jeff are you there no okay well i'm gonna put you back on hold and let's see if uh let's see if joe is there hello joe yeah i'm joe joe welcome yeah thank you uh the thing you just talked about um I'm a scientist. I studied this stuff for the last 50 years. I worked in the industry uh, involving all, all of natural resources in this country and the world. And uh, I knew bef- uh, we we have no reason to be using anything that is. We have everything in this country. Mm-hmm. God bless this country. Mm-hmm. We have over a thousand years supply of natural gas. We've got uh, probably more than that of coal, which can be converted to other things other than just fuel. Mm-hmm. And and all this is being done to us for two reasons. One is they want us going to electric cars to stimulate that market and create a new business. And that electric cars are very very expensive, and we don't we're not set up for that the way they want it to happen instantly. Mm-hmm. Something like that would take 30, 40 years sure, yeah. without destroying our economy. Well, and, and if we, the government's in charge, it's probably going to take even longer than that. Yeah, Sorry. but the thing is, uh, we should be converting to natural gas, which we were doing successfully. Mm-hmm. We, we had material, we were shipping things overseas. There's ways of cleaning the coal, if you want to burn oil, of, of capturing the uh, the gases from oil. Right. And that's free. Uh, there, this is all out of the books. We're not enforcing the laws. 
Well, and also has helped destroy the country. Yeah, and also uh, I made this comment yesterday. Also, nuclear has to be uh, uh, ramped up as well. And Joel, I appreciate the call. Uh, it's it, maybe maybe we should not be taking our energy policy advice from a truant twelve-year-old Swedish girl. Maybe that's been a mistake. Just because she can sail a sailboat across the water and yell at people, "How dare you!" Blah blah blah. Maybe she's not the smartest person to be listening to. The sheer mass of Russian armor and the speed with which Russian mechanized units are capable of advancing means that the Ukraine's defenders have little chance of stopping the Russians. They can only hope to slow the advance and make it as painful as possible. The organized resistance of the Ukrainian army is likely to be measured in days or weeks at best. But there are things that can be done. Mark Antonio Wright from National Review, said first, sanctions, long promised. Uh, They need to be imposed immediately. Any hesitation will be viewed as weakness. Second, the West must do everything in its power over the next few weeks to provide Ukraine with the aid it needs to keep fighting. It must also ceaselessly counter Russian propaganda efforts. NATO must immediately reinforce its eastern flank with hard deterrent power. New NATO Rapid response battle groups should be deployed to the Baltics and to Poland, Romania, and Slovakia. These battle groups should be primarily built around Western European troops. Britain, France, and, yes, Germany must hold the line here. But the U.S. should show commitment by deploying a significant armored formation to Europe. This will take some weeks, so the order needs to be given immediately. Also, the U.S. should uh, should add air defense and ballistic missile defense capabilities to Europe and Turkey with NATO support, should consider closing the Turkish Straits to Russian warships in transit to the conflict zone. Let me go over here to uh, Dean. Hello, Dean. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, hey. Pete, I wanted to ask you about sanctions. and I, I mean, it's, it sort of leads into another question, but if sanctions really worked, I mean, if the guy doesn't care about killing him, his people and the Ukraine people and everything, why would he be concerned about you know, them suffering. Because it destabilizes his home country. It destabilizes uh, his power. Because the people yeah, but- that, because the people that, I mean, if, it, if the people in his own country rose up against him, not just the people, but you know, the military and uh, oligarchs. I mean, remember, like, the, the, this is, uh, it's a criminal enterprise, basically, that, that runs that country. So you shut off their flow of money, these guys are not very nice guys to begin with, and now they're going to start blaming the guy who made the call to do all of this, and they're going to want out from underneath those sanctions. That's the idea. Yeah, but it seems like his goal isn't to, you know, keep his constituency or, ha- or country happy. It's to achieve his goals of uh, 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 territory. I didn't say uh, no. I didn't say it has goal. to keep him. I didn't say it has to. He has to keep his constituents happy. That's not. That, that's. I agree. He's not interested in keeping them happy. But if you apply sanctions to the extent that his people revolt against him because they're angry, like they don't have to be happy, they just have to be angry, or you have to have the, the people that make up the, quote, elite, the oligarchs, right, the criminal enterprise that runs the country, owns the various sectors of industry, um, those guys, when they get their stuff shut off, when, you know, when their yachts get impounded or sunk, um, when they're not allowed to travel to any place other than Belarus, right, or China, uh, and their supermodel girlfriends are going to, you know, want to go to Venice, but they're not going to be allowed to go there. Like that sort of thing, 
that's the kind of pressure that you, that there that the hope is would destabilize his uh, base of power. Now, I don't know so, if that works, but that's the argument. So, sort of like when we're unhappy, how how the things in the states change. Yeah, uh, generally. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking. Yeah, no, uh, Dean, I appreciate the call. I don't know. I, I think I missed the joke. I don't. I, I'm sorry if I missed the rim shot. I, I, but I never give him away. I never give him away unless I hear the joke. So I apologize. I missed the joke. All right, there you go, Dean. There you go. All right. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Andy sent me a message on Twitter saying, I think Putin invaded because it is exactly a year since Joe Biden said I'm the or two years since Joe Biden said I'm the guy who can deal with Putin. That is as as believable of a of an of a theory and explanation as any. Sure. How should the West respond? I ran through several uh, of the recommendations from Mark Antonio Wright from National Review. Um, He says the West should move swiftly to disentangle our economies from Russian energy imports. Uh, NATO should offer membership to Finland and Sweden. Finnish and Swedish leaders have in recent weeks spoken openly of the possibility of applying for membership in the event of a Russian invasion. They should know that the door is open and the West should move quickly to expel Russian diplomats, close down Russian consulates in the West, which are often little more than espionage hubs and make life generally more uncomfortable for Russians in international organizations such as the U.N. The U.S. and our allies should consider throwing our collective weight behind the probably outlandish Ukrainian idea to suspend Russia's seat and veto on the Security Council. And there's been a lot of talk of threats about making Putin's regime a pariah. So let's turn that into action. And finally, the West should support humanitarian and relief efforts in Ukraine, sheltering dissidents and refugees. All right, let's see. Is this uh, Jeff call? Is, it, is he calling back? Is this the same Jeff? Hello, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Hey. Uh, beautiful day here in Charlotte. Yes, sir. And I uh, just want a couple quick uh, notes. I think what you're going to see is gas prices probably going to go to 425 to 450 a gallon here in the Charlotte area before all this is said and done, which is going to be really bad for our economy. Yep. And I think as far as the uh, Ukraine situation, I think all the sanctions and all the financial uh, things they're doing are, are not going to affect anything in Russia in those areas for weeks and possibly up to a month. Yeah. Months. So I think you're going to see U.S. troops on the ground in less than two weeks is what I think is going to happen. So, well, where on the ground? In Ukraine? Yes, in uh. Ukraine, because what's going to happen the devastation and the killings are going to be so great that we have no choice but to intervene here. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do wonder once people start seeing the imagery, which is, I think, why uh, I think the Russians were carrying around uh, mobile crematoriums so they don't have to, uh, so they can burn all the bodies, basically. Um, yeah, I just think we have no choice but to in, uh, interfere in this, and I, I say in less than two weeks, because these sanctions are not going to affect anything. He'll, Putin will have accomplished what he wanted to accomplish way before these sanctions will affect their economy and their, and their well-being. Well, unless the Ukrainians are able to hold off um, and 
the NATO allies are able to funnel arms and support and all that, you know, into Ukraine or something. But yeah, I mean, the, this is the thing, you know, I said this yesterday. What's the old axiom about no battle plans survive the first contact with the enemy? Just because yeah. Putin got to go first doesn't mean that there isn't ever a response. And for, I, I heard one report that he did not make the uh, they, they did not advance as far along as they expected to in their first 24, 48 hours. Um, they, I, there's a belief that maybe they underestimated the Ukrainians. I don't know if that's true, but, uh, you never know. You, I mean, that's the thing, the fog of war, you don't ever know. We don't ever know. And that could be very bad too. You know, it could get out of control very, very quickly. I think it's going to get out of control very quick. I do yeah. not think Ukraine will be able to handle this. I think they're going to overrun them. And then that's when the other places are going to have to step in. Or we're going to have thousands and thousands of casualties of innocent people in Ukraine. Yeah. Jeff, I appreciate the call. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's very, yeah, I'm very worried. I'm very concerned about it, but I, but I'm not an expert on this stuff and I'm just, I'm praying for, for the Ukrainians and, uh, I'm just hoping. And it's a hopeless position to be in or helpless position, I should say, to be in. But I don't know what else to do, you know. Um, I did see this piece by John Gabriel. He's the editor-in-chief at ricochet.com. This was published at azcentral.com. He lives in uh, Arizona. And he says the rule-based international order that rose from the ashes of World War II has actually been dead for years. Russia's savage invasion of Ukraine might finally convince Western diplomats and dreamers of this reality. Throughout the buildup to the invasion, the Biden administration attempted to shame Vladimir Putin for breaking long-held norms. It should have been clear to our leaders throughout this process that Putin doesn't give a flying fig Newton about international law, let alone the rules-based international order. Here's a spoiler for you. China doesn't care about it either, nor does the Taliban. They haven't for a very long time. Like we make these appeals, like this phrase, if I never hear it again, it's too soon. This phrase, the wrong side of history, the wrong side of history. Like, first off, if you know what history is going to be, can I get some lottery numbers? First and foremost, um, if, if you are able to tell the future, but more importantly, how do you know you're going to get to write that history? You have no idea. You're just assuming that because you believe your cause is righteous or your country is better, you're just assuming that you're going to win and that you're going to be able to tell that story. If you're all dead, then you don't get to tell any story. The winners do. So the wrong side of history, I've never liked the phrase, and I think people use it as this effort to try to guilt people or something or shame them into just, it's like this, it's the Aaron Sorkinification of our political dialogue. I know that's a mouthful, but that's the guy who did the West Wing where they, they swapped out just like these petty insults and, and, and moral preening. They swapped those out for actual debate and argument and persuasion. And, and that became the norm now in our political class. 75 years is a long time for any international order to exist, Gabriel writes, especially when the reasons for its creation are no longer operative. China is evolved 
Uh, now from a shattered agrarian nation into an economic and military superpower, Russia went from the Great Red Menace to a belligerent kleptocracy. The balance of power today is nothing like it was in 1945, and it's time that our foreign policy changed with it. International norms only work if everyone agrees to the rule book. Vast swaths of the planet have never agreed to these terms, and it's past time that we accept that fact. He says our recent rules-based order was a rarity. Human nature in all its violence and greed remains the same. We need a new generation to look at our broken international order and create new paths to protect and build free nations. Leaders who care more about lasting peace than personal enrichment. That's what we need. We cannot rely on failed rules of a former age, but face the new reality head on. We have lost confidence in our institutions, yet forced the same structures onto emerging emerging nations. So instead of bashing ourselves, it's time to buckle up. It's a dangerous world, as it always has been, so let's start acting like it. John Gabriel at azcentral.com. Stick around. Brett Winterbull coming up next on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. I'm Pete Callender. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone.